Welcome to the podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this weekend in the sport of boxing. And boy, do we have a lot of boxing to talk about. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. We have a lot of topics to talk about. As you know, this is the end of the year, and there's a lot of fights each weekend, you know, and we talked about this before, how fighters want to get, you know, their bouts in before the holidays. I'm sure that they want to eat um, as much as they want to. Um, but before we get started with the topics this week, we're going to discuss um, something interesting that happened earlier in this week. You had an interview with Mickey Bay, who's a former fighter under the Mayweather promotional banner, or he was. Now he's training Devin Haney. And he has some interesting remarks about his former promoter, Floyd Mayweather. He was saying and alluding to the fact that he felt that certain parts of his career that Floyd was kind of sabotaging his career. Um, you guys have any thoughts on that interview that Mickey Bay came out with earlier this week? Yeah, yeah, I listened to some of it. Uh, if you want to listen to the entire interview, you know, it's on YouTube. It's about uh, two hours, 45 minutes long. I listened to the, this, I guess it was a seven to eight minute snippet when he was talking about his uh, experience with Mayweather Promotions. Um, so I checked it out. Um, he made some some interesting points, some interesting, you know, allegations. Uh, for me, I'm not surprised or, or shocked or anything. Not not saying that whether it's true or not, uh, because, I mean, this is the boxing game, you know, things happen. You know, it's just like when I hear boxers say something like that, it's almost like, when a rapper say my record company screwed me and I didn't think he would, it was, he would screw me because he's Jay-Z or, or Nas or somebody. I mean, it, it, it's going to happen if you're not on your P's and Q's as far as business. Now that said, I think um, what, what I don't like about some of the things he, he stated is like, at the end of the day, as a fighter, I mean, I understand you're a fighter. You don't want to think about your business or that, but that's your responsibility because that's your livelihood, you know? And, and just because somebody might be, you know, seem a certain way or he may be a friend or, or just a brother or whatever, what have you, that doesn't mean that, that, that you shouldn't be on your P's and Q's as far as business. Now, um, we, we've all heard stories in the fight game where, you know, fighters, they, they, they may, you know, be offered fights and they say no nah, no nah, not that uh, i don't want to take this and or they or as some of the examples he brought up you know the first bid could get changed the last minute or some details could get changed that happens with with just about every fighter you know that's happened with probably I'm, i wouldn't put it past happening for floyd mayweather in his career but the way he dealt with it and the way mickey bay deal with it it's a little different and I, now i'm not saying that mickey bay is is you know wrong in what he said or right in what he's saying but we have to look at it in a proper context, you know, and especially when you say things like um, Floyd Mayweather doesn't want any other fighter to be bigger than he is. Now, while that might be true from a, a, a theory and true from a, you know, from a mindset, you know, aspect of it, I'm not sure if that's true from, a, you know, Floyd Mayweather in respect to Mickey Bay, because when I look at Floyd Mayweather, he's like, business-wise, he's like, Jay, Jay-Z, I, I, I attribute him to like Jay-Z, the businessman that, you know, was successful, you know, and he carries himself pretty well. And from a mentality standpoint, 
I compare him a little bit more to Kanye, which Kanye is the genius, but he has to always let you know he's a genius and he has a tab in insecurity about him. Now, Floyd Mayweather, he, while he may be, you know, uh, somewhat insecure and may come off that way, I'm not sure if he's that insecure that, that he'll be worried about what Mickey Bay is doing. It's almost like, and, and, and no, this is not no, no uh, shot to, you know, Mickey Bay or anything like that. But it's just saying, it's like saying that Kanye is jealous of Kid Cudi and try to sabotage Kid Cudi's career. Now, I can see if it's someone that's, you know, on Kanye's level or a little bit lower or approaching that level. But, I mean, Mickey Bay, I mean, talented guy, but he was never at a point where I thought that he was going to be, like, the next Mayweather or, or even, like, even from a marketing standpoint of an Adrian Broner or something, anything like that. But, you know, it's just, it's the business of boxing. It happens. I mean, he's free to, you know, express his views, but we also got to realize we're only hearing one side of that story. Yeah, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. And I think that there's some validity into what Mickey Bay is saying. Mickey Bay, to me, doesn't come across as a guy who is bitter or anything like that. I think he's just speaking his truth, you know? And some of the things that, he was referring to because Floyd, he was earlier into Floyd's uh, promotional um, prowess. You know, it's like now Floyd may be a little bit more better at what it is that he's doing, but he was actually fighting, you know, at that time. And Floyd is a narcissist, man. Like he, he, he is, you can tell from, from this standpoint, right? So anytime that he's, helping or so-called helping a fighter he's one of the only <laughs> promoters that you see he has to put himself in the conversation yeah it's just like when i was fighting and i did this and i didn't they really not even asking him about that he's really supposed to be promoting his fighter but he really subconsciously or indirectly or directly is promoting himself in his career you know and i guess whether he, he is as far as what he's done, maybe that light is supposed to shine on the person that he's promoting, you know, even in a, in a tank situation, you know, tank is doing a better job now of speaking for himself, but it's still like Floyd, you know, he, he, he puts himself in a lot of the situations and equations when they, when they discuss, um, you know, just issues about tank. To me, Mickey Bay is more so Devin Haney without the father. You know, he didn't have that other person in his life to kind of, you know, shield him away from the garbage or to help him in those situations when he needed some support. And he felt obligated to not say anything because Floyd is such a huge figure. It's like, how can I say something at this particular moment? Who's going to believe me? And also, how much am I going to lose by trying to expose something at this particular time? So I think that that's where it was more so in his career. And, you know, you made a point about Jay-Z. You know, Jay-Z, to me, to a certain degree, does that as well. Like when he was the president of one of those companies, a lot of times when it was certain artists that was underneath his umbrella and they supposed to come out with like certain music, it wasn't being promoted the way you think that it was supposed to be promoted. Then also sometimes as bigger artists, he'll come out like around the same time that they coming out to kind of take away from, you know, their sales and things like that. Was he doing it intentionally or was it just 
you know, a coincidence. I don't know. But, you know, those guys, I know Floyd never really probably felt threatened, but he just want to make sure that you see him. He, he don't he he doesn't want to be where he isn't the center of attention that he's losing his shine. You know, he's always want to be in the mix. So I think that that's partly what played a role in, you know, some of the issues that Mickey was seeing. But, you know, like you said, it's always two sides to a story. Yeah, both of you guys made good points. And to your point also, Will, you know, he is a narcissist, Floyd, but, you know, that's one of those things that just come with, that greatness a lot of times, you know? And so, and, and part of that is probably, you know, on Floyd's end, he's probably thinking he has to insert himself to some extent because that is going to help out his fighter indirectly because Floyd is in it. But, but it's also like with narcissism probably comes that lack of self-awareness with like, you know, you could probably sit this one out. Um, I think in, in terms of what he was saying himself, I think there is probably some validity to that. And, um, but I, I also will be curious to hear the other side of that, but where he kind of lost me a little bit was, you know, cause his experience was his experience with like the business side of things, but, you know, saying like, I could have been a multiple time champion and, and stuff like that. Uh, I, I believe I heard that that's kind of where he lost me because that's not necessarily what I saw with him in the ring i mean it's possible but that's not something I, that's, that's something that if i were him i probably would have left out of this particular conversation if you want to give like your objective view on you know your experience with mayweather promotions but that's the only thing i really have to add to that yes i will no only thing i was going to say is this is that i never when i saw mickey bay fight i never really you know he never really jumped off the screen at me you know, when I when I saw him fight, but some of the obstacles that he was saying I was placed in front of him going into certain fights, maybe that's the reason that that maybe that's why that he didn't look the way he probably should have looked, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, I give him a little grace because of the fact that a lot of people say he beat Cambosis. And he was coming off from what he was saying was really a three-year layoff, although he had a fight in between there when he took a fight in Mexico to just, you know, get some cobwebs off trying to get out of that contract. But for him to be at the later stage of his career and then, you know, like I said, some eyes, some people's eyes um, actually either defeating Cambosis or being very close to defeating Cambosis, that says a lot about his talent. So I don't know, you know, it's just interesting, you know, what he said. He said a lot though, too. He talked about how other guys really aren't, don't have what you think that they have. And a lot of things that they do have that Floyd gives it to them. And then the other money that they're gonna get, they just have to get it from him. And sometimes they're, they're really hurting and it just looks a certain way on camera. But if you really knew those guys, that they really don't have much. And he talked about Leonard Ellerby. Like he's like, you think that Leonard Ellerby have a lot more. He said, I got more than Leonard Ellerby. You know what I mean? So that just really opened my eyes in terms of, you know, what's actually going on over there. Um, but, you know, that's an interesting topic. Maybe we can touch on that. I don't want to go too far 
um, or too long because we have a whole bunch of topics that we need to address. But anything else that you guys want to talk about in regards to that topic before we move into the actual fights? No, no. And, and shout out to Mickey Bay, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I watched him, you know. Uh, yeah, watched him coming up, and he's doing a really good job with Devin. So, yeah, shout out to Mickey. Now, but let's go ahead, and, and, and I hate to start off with this topic, but, you know, there's going to be a lot of water, water cooler conversations about this fight that took place. You know, it was the rematch. It was old Jake Paul. You know, he fought yesterday or on Saturday night against Tyron Woodley. What do you guys think about the bout and um, old Jake's performance that night? Oh, man. So Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. Jake Paul, he came to this fight uh, four and, and zero with three knockouts, uh, six foot one with a 76 inch wingspan. His most uh, famous uh, win is his knockout win over Nate Robinson. Uh, he's going against Tyron Woodley, who is a UFC legend, you know, MMA legend, um, but not particularly, you know, uh, he's, he's not, I wouldn't say he's, 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 not even even in the UFC ring, I didn't consider him like a you know pretty good boxer, you know, as far as his style. So he came in here, he's zero one with that one loss coming to Jake Paul in his uh in Tyron Whitley's debut, uh five foot nine with a 74 inch wingspan. So the story uh, of the, the first fight, and even the story before is, is when I hear other guys talk about Tyron Whitley, they always talk about how he can do it, but he has to decide to. And that played out kind of in the first fight where you saw it, shades of like he could he could trouble Jake Paul if he stepped on the gas, but he he never really sold out. And in this fight, it kind of went the same where but even though he he started off even more aggressive, you know, uh, with Jake Paul and started off, you know, trying to really, you know, uh, get, you know, get to Jake Paul. Now, Paul, to his credit. You know, even though these both are not necessary boxers, you know, I mean, yeah, Jake Paul has a boxing record, but I wouldn't call him like a prof really a professional boxer because he hasn't boxed a really a professional boxer yet. So, but when I see him, he does have a pretty decent jab for a person of his experience level and he moves around the ring and he uses his height and length, uh, even though he doesn't move his head and neither does Tyron Woodley. But it served him well against Willie because Willie had to keep following around and, and you know, try and, and it forced Willie to be aggressive, which would, you know, open him up a lot. So um, it seemed early on they fought a little bit more, but then again, it died around about the third round and went back to, you know, what it, the, uh, the, the original fight, what happened in the original fight with, the, you know, just the same thing over and over again. It became pretty, you know, modern, monotone, a monotone fight until the sixth round when Paul just just hit he threw a, a right hand right around the guard of uh Tyron Willie and just hit him right you know right on the ear and just knocked him right out cold and Willie you know to his credit I could still see him moving and trying to get up a little bit but you know again it was one of them highlight real knockouts again and and, and the good thing about it is now you know Nate, Nate Robinson can sleep better at night or depending on how you look at it he can finally wake up from, you know, he's, it's, 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 it's better for him. Now they can stop laughing at Nate Robinson, you know, now Tyron Willie is that guy, you know, it's interesting win for Jake Paul, you know, um, if you listen to our, our, 
any of our, our podcasts, you know how I feel about these type of matchups. I'm not necessarily excited about them, but, you know, it gets people talking and, yeah, it, it does produce these, you know, highlight moments. Um, it, it's just that I don't like how people are probably going to treat Tyron Woolley after this, you know, and, and you know, it, people going to go online and laugh and ha-ha, you got knocked out. And it, it, Fair, just... Fair, I'm a, I don't mean to cut you off, but, man, that man got in the ring, man. You know what I'm saying? He he the one signed a contract to go ahead and get in there with OJ. You know, right. if he wasn't ready, then he shouldn't have got in there. You know, so. you're right. That's a that's an excellent point. You're right. It is on Tyron Willie. He should have gotten that ring. And he signed. Yeah, he signed a contract. And but also, you know, he was a replacement opponent. Yeah, but he got in that ring and said he was going to do this and do that. And and here you go. And now, you know, he's joking. Now they're going to treat him like he's the joke of the month. You know, and it's it's kind of you know interesting because. Uh, as a you know boxing fan and now also someone who you know watch UFC from time to time, I know who these guys are. So even when I see you know boxers get knocked out, people laugh at them. And like even when it when it happened in Leo Santa Cruz against uh, Tank Davis, you know, and, and Tank Davis Davis caught him, and that's a, you know that's another boxer. But you have people who don't necessarily watch boxing, ha ha, laughing at him and all that, you know. And I get it, you know, Cruz got in the ring. But as a as a someone who who really watched these sports, I mean, it's more to it than just that. But you know, props to Jake Paul. He really does take this boxing thing seriously. He's done uh, uh, his handlers and him has done a great job with you know his training and, and, and opponent selection. Right. I, I saw. Um, I'm gonna keep mine brief. It's, uh, what I saw yesterday was pretty uneventful. A lot of clenching. You know as far as like rounds one through five, first round, I couldn't really give it to a winner because of the clinching. Like I say, very non-eventful. Round two, um, Paul landed overhand right on Woodley and then Woodley landed a solid left. Um, but I thought Jake was more active in the second round. Third round, they had a headbutt. Um, it was two nice right hands by Woodley. So I gave Woodley the third round. Again, round four, that was an even round, not much going on. I was really surprised, not necessarily, I shouldn't say that because I thought that Woodley, I didn't expect too much from Woodley, only really having two weeks to prepare. I knew that, again, he would give it all that he had because the fact that he was upset that he lost the first one, he felt that he won, he felt that he did enough. But at the same time, you know, when we predicted this, I was saying that if he was going to be successful in this fight, he just needed time to go ahead and do the one thing that he wasn't doing, you know, for a considerable amount of time to be prepared to implement that into a rematch with Paul. And I just think that he didn't have enough time to be able to do that. Round five, not sure. Woodley, maybe, I don't know. Um, so round six comes around and then that was the round where it wasn't much going on, but Jake set him up. He lined him up for right hand. That was all she wrote, picture perfect, lights out. I'm not, you know, sitting up there boo-hooing because people are going to be making memes of Whitley and, and all of that type of stuff. You know, he knew what he signed up for. Um, and, you know, he's talking about fighting three or four more times next year. And, you know, so that's just where it is. So, you know, shout out to Paul. Paul did a really good job of, you know, lining him, him up for that shot. But also he didn't look like this is the first time I saw Jake Paul really look like cement footed. He looked like very one dimensional. He looked reluctant to throw punches. 
but all it takes is one shot, you know, and he landed the pitcher perfect right. Could be knockout of the year. But all in all, shout out to uh, Jake Paul. Yeah, I won't add much. I, I just I was trying to figure out what what happened, like why Woodley dropped his hand because Jake Paul kind of went for it the first time. Not went for it, but kind of threw a feint similar to what he actually threw. And Woodley didn't bite. He kept that guard up. And then I, I, I don't know if he threw a feint to the body or if Woodley, you know, and then went up or if Woodley just thought he was going to throw something else or, or, or both. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he, he caught him. He did what he had to do. I was, I, I knew he didn't have enough time and I knew that was going to affect him. I, I was hoping that, you know, an act of clinching though, with, with Paul clinching so much and him looking a little bit cement footed. I, I wanted to see more uppercuts from from Whitley. Like if, if he if if I see somebody going in for the clinch as much as Paul was, and, and Whitley was doing his too, but you know you you could use that to kind of set a trap because if you're going for the clinch, you see Paul is is gas, and you see him going for the clinch. Try to time that clinch and then throw that uppercut right up the middle and and, and see what see what comes of that. You know what I mean? But um, you know what happened happened, and yeah, it just kind of is what it is. Y'all got anything else on that one? Yeah, Vail told me he, he didn't care about the fight. He went in on that one, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know, I, I because, hey, I'm going to do my I'm do my job. I'm going to do my job. But at the same time, when is this going to stop? Wait till they start. You know, I want to record. Now, my thing is, I mean, when, when is this going to stop? Uh, is this going to stop once they start, you know, saying that he should be an opponent for Canelo? Oh, yeah, Canelo is moving up to cruiserweight. Jake Paul is a cruiserweight. When is it going to stop? Because Jake Paul is a big money ticket. Him versus Canelo will make a lot of money. It's funny, but it can happen. It can happen. At no, some point, was, we have to we have to know when is this going to stop. The, the, the thing, you would have more so somebody coming out of retirement that's a big name. A De La Hoya, somebody like that, as opposed to him fighting somebody that's in a prime. They know better than that. But they can sell something. And that's that's the whole problem with these shenanigans is that the the is is superseding like a more competitive fight that you should be actually you know wanting to see you know as a fight fan and that's the issue they're not gonna put him in there with somebody who really can do some damage to him but he may get some damage done to him because of the fact that he's really not a fighter he's got a really good right hand and he can take advantage of some guys who are not really fighters you know what I'm saying? But I think that's the problem, more of an issue as opposed to them, you know, you know, like making it a little bit more murky for him in terms of fighting somebody who's really a live dog, you know. But, you know, we shall see, man. I just said, I just thought that you went in on that, on a topic that you really <laughs> wasn't that interested. Ajay Ward versus Jake Paul. <laughs> it wouldn't be that, <laughs> That. It, like I said, it'd be somebody like maybe like De La Hoya, but De La Hoya might be might you know, left hook him. <laughs> he might love hook him, but at the same time, they'll put him in there if they find out De La Hoya is back on that stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. <laughs> so on the night before that showtime battle, we had a light heavyweight clash between Arthur Betterbiev and Marcus Brown. And uh, it was a good one. How 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 do you see it going, Will? 
Yeah, it was a really good way to kick off the weekend um, over out there in Montreal. Got a, a pretty interesting fight card that day. You know, one of these days we got to start ranking these regions in terms of, you know, some of the fight cards that they have, like Montreal has their staying and then you got over out there in the UK, the England area, they put on their events. And, um, you know, like that, that was a pretty good card. Now, as far as this fight is concerned, you know, looking at the tail of the tape, um, Brown had the slight advantage in height and reach. And so he came out round one. He was using those those physical attributes that he had over Better B. He was came out jabbing. He was moving. And Better B on the other end, he was applying, you know, the physical and mental pressure, but he wasn't throwing much early. You know, he's trying to catch a rhythm. So round one, I thought Brown did a wonderful job that round kind of stand off the ropes a little bit too um so i gave him a 10 9 9 in the first round two i also gave the brown he was showing again nice movement he worked you know more on the inside to get some respect from better beef and then better beef he was looking a little slow you know and then he still hadn't caught his rhythm yet so again 10 9 round four brown round three i thought better beef started to catch his rhythm a little bit more and what I didn't like starting in round three was Brown was languishing on the ropes a little bit more. And then the other thing that I didn't like is a lot of times what he was doing, instead of like getting out of the way of punches, he was trying to just block them. And when you fighting somebody as, you know, heavy handed, as um, steel fisted, you know, as better beef, you don't want to take any of that. Like you don't want to allow him to hit you anywhere, you know what I mean? Even on the gloves and even like your arms and things like that. And he was doing that a little bit too much in the third round. Wasn't a huge advantage of better B, uh, for better B, but I did give him the third. So then round four comes around and then you had a clash of heads. Uh, both fighters were cut. Better B had a, a pretty big cut in the middle of his head and the blood was just gushing out of there. And then Brown had a cut on one of his eyes, um, like the side, towards the, the, the side of his eye. And then once that clash of heads happened, I thought that it was a huge, um, I, th I thought the tide turned a lot after that. Brown went to the ropes a little bit more and then Better B started going to work. And then, like I said, after the clash, Better B began to string punches together in succession, unloading heavy shots to the body and the head. Similar action in round five. I thought Better B stunned Brown a little bit in round five. Round six was another round in the bank for Better Beef. I thought that before the clash, I would have had Brown up. Not yeah, I would have had Brown up slightly, you know, at that point. But after that, it was all Better Beef. By the time you made it to seven, Better Beef dropped Brown with a left hook to the body, and then it was just much of the same after that. And he ended up finishing Brown off with a series of body shots in the ninth round to close the show. You know, um, Brown could have gotten up you know, before the count of 10, but he chose to wait until the ref reached 10 and then he immediately rose. So better be moved to 17-0 with 17 KOs and Brown fell to 24-2 with 16 KOs. Also a couple of things that I wanted to add in there is that Brown, I thought that he, if he stuck to what he was doing earlier, he would have had a much better shot of winning this fight because he was doing really good work I don't necessarily know if Brown is the type of guy who comes into a fight who's going to stick to a game plan, you know, specifically for an opponent. And if he did that, 
I think that he really could have gave better beef some fits if, if they just trained specifically to do certain things. I'm not going to go to the ropes. I'm going to dodge these punches more. You know, I might sit there, you know, a few times to go ahead and get some respect, but I'm never going to stay stationary too long. And he just didn't choose to do that. I think that what he thought was with the skills that I have and the skills that he has, I can offset a lot of things that Better Beef does because he's slow. I can box and, you know, that sort of thing. But you have to have a game plan. And that was his demise in this fight. As far as Better Beef, he showed me a lot more um, in this fight than he get, did against in the Adam Dines fight. And the other thing that I, I do want to mention also about Better Beef is that I thought that it was more meaning to in the Dines fight. Like when he won, he dropped on the floor and he seemed so happy that he won the fight. Now I'm just starting to find out that that's just his typical celebration after a victory. And so I, as I look and did more research, I see that that's what he does every fight that he wins. But um, the other thing with him is he's not getting any younger. So he's still a wrecking ball, you know, and it takes him a while to get warmed up a little bit more now um, than it did before. But I think that at this particular moment, he should really push for the Bivol fight. I still would favor him against Bivol just because he's so, so destructive with his punches. And that's the separation between him and some of those other guys is just that when he hits them, that he's doing some serious damage. And it, it'll take those other guys much more um, effort in order to do damage to their opponents, where it just takes him one, two shots. And it's like, oh man, I don't, you know, let me get out of here. Or, you know, some of my um, energy is being zapped, you know, by those big punches. And if he decides to fight better, I mean, Bivol next, you know, um, I believe Montreal should be the place that they do it. Because I think that's where you're going to get the biggest um, draw at because I don't Bivol doesn't really have anywhere that he fights that where he has a base and better Biv has a has a huge following out there in Montreal and then also that's just the biggest most important fight in the light heavyweight division but all in all I was um, really surprised not surprised I was really um, impressed with better Biv's performance um, on Friday you guys have anything I don't have much to add. I, I do agree that he, he did look better. Um, there were still some spots where he he just looked a little uh, – his defense was a little leaky, I felt like. But um, I felt like this was more of, the, the, of, of who I knew him to be before the whole – before, uh, you know, he caught COVID. And so I'm happy to see that I, I was a little bit concerned because of age and, you know, what kind of effect they had on his body. But – um, I was happy to see more of like the vintage him, so to speak. I don't know if I, I hope that he he does get some kind of unification in 2022. I do believe that um, Zerto is Bivol's mandatory, but we'll talk about that later. But um, but yeah, I do hope he gets some kind of unification. Yeah, I, I was I was uh, sort of impressed, also not impressed with him as far as you know who he is or how he fights, but that, you know, he rebounded from how he did look in the, the Dinez fight. Uh, he looked more like the, the, the uh, bitter bit of that fought um, uh, got stick. So he did, I mean, and, and he was a bloody mess also. He did it while he was a bloody mess from the cut. And, and normally in fights like this, you know, a fighter will sort of either slow down or bow out, 
or or try to go to the cars as quick as they can. But you know, he fought through it. Um, not only that, but he, he really made it a statement to to stop um, uh, Brown. So he he still showed that look. I, I still got that you know that heart of a dragon, and I'm I'm still gonna put it on you. You know, he did take it easy on him so, still. So you know, it's it's still a good win. We'll see where he goes from here. Side note, you know, um, this is the second fight that I'm seeing with a guy who basically has, and I don't want to put this out there about Brown, but he has had not only allegations, but he's had, you know, actual legal action taken against him for um, the situations that he had with, I don't know if it's the same female, but at least one female that he got in trouble for like assault or, you know, that sort of thing. Saying all that to say, I'm trying to figure out how that played out. And even Kovalev, you know, Kovalev had this situation, Pulev had this situation. And so I'm just trying to figure out how does that, um, why did that have anything to do with Roley, you know, and Tank's fight? You follow what I'm saying? And he, did, he wasn't even charged. And so that, that's just something that I, I, I was thinking about, but we don't have to answer that question, but it was just one of those things that make you say, hmm, you know? All right, now, if we're done with that, exhausting that topic right there, um, Danny, you wanted to talk on that Joseph Parker and um, Derek Chisora fight that took place over there in the UK. Yeah, so uh, for those who don't recall, earlier in the year they fought and uh, Parker got rocked uh, pretty quickly he got knocked down 10 seconds into the fight and he really had to rally in the second half of that fight in order to get that split decision victory which uh you know necessitated the rematch that we saw over the weekend and so um parker is now at 30 and 2 with 21 knockouts chisor is now at 32 and 12 with 23 knockouts and this fight was more so a testament to just show his heart and ability to withstand punishment for a good portion of the fight. Um, I gave Parker the first four rounds, um, including the knockdown in the fourth. Uh, you know, Chisora was game, but Parker, Parker just, he didn't do anything spectacular, but he fought his fight and, you know, and Chisora got caught. You know what I mean? And in the third round, Chisora was, his legs are wobbly. And I thought he was going to get him out of there. But, um, you know, in the fifth round, he he had a good bounce back round, and I gave that to Chisora. He was knocked down again in the seventh and eighth and barely made it out of the ninth. And, you know, again, Parker didn't do anything new, but he won most of the rounds, in my opinion, except one, maybe two. At the end of the card, the judges scored it 114-112. 115-111 and 115-110, all in favor of Parker. I thought that was a little close, but the right person got the win, of course. I personally had it like 119 to 106. And, yeah, much respect to Chisora for, for, for making it through the fight. Um, you could argue that Parker lacks killer instinct or was just gas, but either way you put it, uh, he still put forth a solid performance, I thought. And, you know, Chisora's about to turn 38. I don't know what his plans are for the future. And if this fight changed that at all, but, you know, he's been in some wars and I appreciate his dedication to the craft, but it's hard to see 
as a fan, you know, like, you know, you want to see good fights, but as a, as a human, it's kind of hard to see him take that kind of punishment. And there are definitely some fights to still be made for him if he decides to continue. But as for Parker, um, he put himself back in title contention. I'm not saying he's at the top of the queue of title contention, but, you know, he, he doesn't have many losses and he's been putting together uh, better performances lately um, since, you know, he, he had a few duds. But, yeah, it was, it was a good fight overall. Did you guys have anything on that one? Yeah, the only thing I'll say is this, is that, you know, first and foremost, shout out to both of those guys. They were two warriors yesterday going at it. And um, like you say, Derek Chisora, he took a lot of punishment, but he had that never say die attitude, just kept going and refusing to, you know, go down for good. And, you know, that's what you like about him. He's just a, a supreme warrior. You know, he's going to take it. He's going to dish it out and, you know, come back for more. And so, you know, like, it's, like you said, I hope that it would be, his farewell, you know, fight, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. I saw him and um, Joseph after the fight, they were sharing um, some burgers, five guys, if you will. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, fighting on, you know, so it doesn't look like it'll be his last fight. I hope that, you know, his health, won't be an issue, you know, as he moves forward. But, you know, that was that was a really good scrap yesterday. It was re really exciting. And also, like you said, that's not always the case when you get a Joseph Parker fight. Mm -hmm. You know, when he fought Junior Five, it was like hard to stay up throughout that whole fight, you know. But these two guys, they they their skills and styles, you know, mesh well together. And it was just another good fight. But this one was even better than the other one, you know. So, you know, like I say, shout out to both guys. Great fight. And then also shout out to, I want to say that was Matchroom who put together those two combatants. Yep, yep. Uh, them burgers look good, man. I almost cheated on my diet, man. But uh, you got anything, Bill? <laughs> no. Nah, yeah, shout, shout out to both guys. Shout out to Derek Chisora. I know he's he's always putting it on the line for, for our entertainment. And, and like you said, Danny, it, eventually you'll get to a point where you're like how much he's going to take because he's been in some some wars and, and you know he don't he's the type of person he don't shy away from and he's not afraid of anything so that would probably take someone to save him from himself but you know tough guy tough guy okay shout out to five guys well so also on saturday there was another light heavyweight clash this one was gilberto Zodo Ramirez versus Uniski Gonzalez. Uh, that was a pretty good fight. Uh, I understand you saw that, Will? Yeah, I checked it out. You know, I had to check out my boy Zodo. You know, he was going against Uniski, the monster Gonzalez. Um, old Zerto sported a record of 42-0 with 28 KOs. They were fighting yesterday in San Antonio, Texas. And for Gonzalez, he was uh, 21-3 with 17 KOs. And the interesting thing about him going into this fight was that he was fighting his fourth southpaw in a row. And, you know, when the fight started, he came out to the 
the song, The Final Countdown by Europe. I thought that was a good twist, you know, as he entered the ring. And um, as far as Zerto coming into this fight, as since he's moved up to light heavyweight, he's, he's, he's been showing a lot more pop in his punches, you know, as of late, because he was getting a lot of, you know, 12 round decisions, the latter part of the time that he was still at 168. And so, you know, he just had the knockout of Sullivan Barrera. Um, he fought Alfonso Gomez. I want to say that was like a 10th round KO. And, you know, he's been, you know, looking a little bit more heavy fisted, you know, as opposed to what he was looking like at 168. Also, he mentioned that, you know, coming into the fight or going into the weigh-in, he was like, I'm still, I still can eat steaks and things like that now, you know, as opposed to what he was able to do going into those fights at 168. So he feels a lot more solid, a lot more strong at the new weight. All right, so when the fight started, Zerto, he came out a lot more aggressive in this fight than he typically does. You know, normally he boxes and moves a little bit, you know, catches his rhythm, and then he'll start landing, you know, more shots and start picking the shots more. But he came out, you know, going, you know, gunning for Gonzalez first round. But actually in the first round, I gave it to Gonzalez because he landed several big right hands and, and a few solid combos. He was looking really good and sharp early on. And I felt like Gonzalez, he was looking at this like this is his last opportunity, this is his last hurrah, you know, to fight some of these upper echelon guys in the 175-pound weight division. This dude is a big, solid, you know, rough and tough 175-pound fighter. And I'm going to talk about how that is going to look for Zerto against some of the other big 175-pound fighters. Now, he just beat another, you know, big guy at the weight for the weight in um, Barrera, but I think Barrera was kind of, you know, on his last leg because he took a lot of punishment recently. And that wasn't the case for Gonzalez. Gonzalez looked really fresh in terms of his punch resistance. Second round, Ramirez, he was in the pocket, you know, showing those good skills, dodging and landing. Um, and so, you know, I gave him round two. Round three, it was nice pivoting from Zerto. You know, Gonzalez landed a, a few good shots. And then just out the blue, the referee, without any warnings, just one warning, you know, he deducted a point from Gonzalez, which was interesting. I thought that that fight, that round could have went either way, but you definitely have to give it to Zerto because of the point deduction. Round four, um, big shot after big shot for Zerto. Um, round five, I thought Gonzalez may have won that round at least won the first two two minutes of the round, and then Zerto took over. So if you're just looking at it from the standpoint of who won most of the round, you would have to give it to Gonzalez. But, you know, towards the end of the round, you know, the last impressions that you have with Zerto, you know, putting in work. So round five could have went either way, but I gave it to Gonzalez because he won more. Than round six, um, Ramirez was, was boxing off the back foot, and he started to respect the power and strength of Gonzalez because Gonzalez wasn't going anywhere. But Gonzalez took a lot of punishment and was able to hang in there. I thought the fight by now would have been over with, but he was showing such resiliency and such strength. His recuperative powers was was really, you know, on point. Um, but he still, like, throughout the fight, his balance was off a little bit, but he was hanging in there, and those shots were so powerful that, you know, Zerto just couldn't get him out of there. Round seven, that was another good round for Gonzalez, and I thought that he rocked Zerto a little bit in that round. And then also, 
he kind of rocked them with, with the headbutt. Like, that was a vicious headbutt, but some big right hands also landed during the seventh round. Round eight, um, Zerto was boxing from the outside, and he began a pot shot and dominate Gonzalez. Round nine, I gave it to Zerto. And then finally, he ended up finishing things off with a barrage of punches, and the referee stopped the fight in round 10. So all in all, it's a good fight, great win. I shouldn't say great win for Zerto. Um, because going into the fight, I think most people thought that he would get Yaniski, the monster Gonzalez, out of there sooner. But, you know, upon further review, as you looked at how, you know, good Gonzalez looked, and if you think about in the past that they had Gonzalez up there, he was one of those guys that had, you know, a lot of potential. And if you look at his record, all of those KOs that he has, that, you know, you can't take him lightly. You know, he is like maybe a B level, B plus level fighter, you know, at his best. And so when you look at it from that standpoint, it was a good win for um, Zerto. Now, moving forward, what I was talking about earlier, I'm a little bit skeptical on Zerto going against Bivol, not Bivol, better be right now. And the reason why is because of the physical strength and power of better B. He's gonna be even more stronger and more powerful than Gonzalez. Better B, the great thing about him and what some people don't notice is the fact that he's able to throw some powerful punches, heavy shots, and he's not like, it's not telegraphed at all. It's just like little, little stuff that he throws in terms of like the inches in term, you know, for how he's landing those shots. And if he's touching you, then it's going to be problematic. And that goes hand in hand with the 17 wins, 17 KOs. That's how he gets guys out of there. It's going to be an accumulation of punches a lot of times because you just can't withstand that amount of punishment for 12 rounds. And if you get touched by him, and I don't see Zerto in a situation where he's not going to be getting touched. You know, he's going to be getting touched a little bit. And just that little bit of being touched is more than enough for better be to get him or anyone else out of there. And so that's the trouble that I see for him if he faces Arthur better be anytime soon. Now, I think him and Bivol, I think that their skills are comparable. I think that they're in the same situation. Both of them aren't really the biggest punchers in the world. They both have really good skills. And that fight, I think, really could pretty much go either way. Also, those guys are like physically around the same weight and height. You know, Bivol, to me, could fight at 168. And then you have um, Zerto, who's coming up from 168. So they like equally yoked to me. So that should be a really good fight. Hopefully they make that fight pretty soon. You know, the 175-pound weight division is one of those weight divisions where they could actually do just like a mini tournament. You know, you got Joe Smith over there. If he's successful in his next bout, you can have him and Better Be next. And then you can have Zerto and Bivol. And then the winners, you know, fight each other at the end of the year. You know, and I think that that would be um, something that they might want to consider in the 170-pound, 75-pound weight class. You guys have anything on that one? Yeah, we'll uh, 
don't 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 get my hopes up, man. You get me excited right now about about where these light headway is gonna go. Um, I mean, it's 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 building itself up to be a pretty good, you know, lineup, you know. Um, but then again, you no, know, of course, Bibbo and and Bitter Bitter Beef, they've been at this weight class for you know a little bit, and they haven't fought yet. And it, it, I just don't want to be disappointed. <laughs> but but uh, but still, uh, I thought it was a good win for for Zerto. Uh, I thought he did look vulnerable, at, you know, at spots. Um, and as you said, I think I think he's Bibbo's uh, mandatory, and I think he'll fare better against Bibbo than he would against a better beat. But you know, that's why they fight the fights. You know, Zerto wants to be champion. And, and if Bibbo doesn't give him that shot, then he might have to uh, go against Bitter Beef. You know, that's the, the the next, the safest bet. Oh, the next bet. And then there's, you know, Canelo is, you know, hovering around at 175. Um, it's, it's an interesting weight class. Yeah, don't forget about Joe Smith, though, too. Yeah, yeah, Joe Smith's in there, too. You know, that's why I decided Joe Smith is still in, still in there. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's very... You know, it, 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 I can't say it's 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 like 135, but it's, it's stacked up like 135, where you know it, there's a lot of guys who, for example, if 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 let's say you take Bitter Beef out of that out of the picture, you know, say it's no way that you know Zerto would not be champion. Zerto would be a champion. So uh, it, it's like one of those, those weight classes where if a guy doesn't win a belt, that doesn't mean that he isn't. You know, championship material. He may not. He may not just be able to win against the top echelon competition. It's top, it's you know, top it was, heavy. Yeah, it's a top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like we're seeing at Y, where you, you might have a guy that, you know, that might end up on the outskirts that may be good enough to win a championship anywhere else. You know, so you know, exciting division. You know, before we go off to this next topic, if you don't mind, fellas, if you don't mind me doing the honors. Zero. <laughs> Yeah, I think you blew out the mic, man. <laughs> okay, moving right along, we had, uh, you know, one of the fighters on the pound-for-pound list. He's normally in the top three. Uh, he fought this past Tuesday. We talk about Naomi uh, Inui. He fought uh, Iran, Iran uh, Dipayan. And I know, Danny, you, you saw that fight and you checked it out. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, Inui's performance? I did see it. So um, as it stands now, Inui is now 22 and 0 with 19 knockouts. Dipain is now 12 and 3 with 11 knockouts. Um, this was a pretty cut and dry fight, to be real with you. I, the, the first round was kind of a filling out round. Um, Dipain didn't have a whole lot to offer. By the second round, Inui was starting to walk him down to use a jab to find range. Dipayne kept that high guard, but he started to get, anyway, started to get through towards the end of the round. And he kind of built on that in the third round. Dipayne just wasn't throwing a whole lot because he was just getting countered. And so um, it was a pretty, like, I could go down the, down the list if I wanted to with the rounds, but it was more or less the same. But it was a pretty clean sweep for, for anyway. And uh, by, by the seventh round, um, he kind of had him, he, he was kind of like hanging on by a thread. And then by the eighth round, anyway, put him down with a lead hook and the ref stopped it when he got back up. So um, it was a kind of standard mandatory fight for, for him. 
and he looked how he's expected to look. And so what we have moving forward is, you know, between other IBF contenders being occupied and, you know, the top two WBA challengers, who was Rashi Warren and Gary Antonio Russell, they declined to fight. This is kind of what we were stuck with. I would say stuck with, but, you know, Dipayne was ranked number six with IBF. And so he was basically the highest ranked challenger that anyway could have fought. Uh, the good news is that moving forward, there are no more mandatories for him. And he stated that he wants Casimero or Donaire. Um, in terms of what will get him the most notoriety, I think that Donaire rematch would be the best, especially since Casimero might get stripped. And, you know, because of how Casimero looked against Rigondeaux last time and you know, that whole drama with him missing a fight last week. So hopefully what this sets up for is unification, another unification rather, uh, with this rematch here. Did you guys have anything? Not on that fight. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I didn't even, that's one of the fights I didn't get a chance. I shouldn't say didn't get a chance to see. I didn't really um, necessarily feel the need to see it because I kind of knew what was going to happen. But, you know, as far as a fight, but moving forward for the champ, I would hope that you would have about between Casimero and maybe Donaire and then a winner fights against Inoue. Um, or, I mean, if Inoue wants, he can go ahead and, and go through both because that would be paydays for him against two different, you know, champions, um, you know, just to save some time. You know what I mean? But, you know, we shall see. I, I just don't. He's just too talented for most guys, you know, in that weight class, you know, so it's just hard, you know, I feel bad for him, you know, because you don't want to waste a lot of time, you know, fighting guys who you already know the outcome of. It's not really, I mean, he's going to do well because he's fighting out there in his, in his area and he's going to sail, you know, out that way. He's just a, you know, a folk hero out there, you know what I mean? But just from a boxing standpoint, from a, historic standpoint from a legacy building standpoint i just want more opportunities out there i just want more dance partners out there for him but that's all i have to say yeah i'm with you will to an extent i mean all you really have at there is all you really have at uh 118 is really a rematch with down there um and, and let's say given he beats down there again i think if he can i because because you know it's we never know if these fighters can or should, but if he can move up to 122, I think there's a lot of names. We just saw, you know, the fight with Figueroa and uh, Stephen Fulton, you know, that, that that would be an interesting matching up with Fulton. You know, that would be a legacy defining fight to me, you know, for him uh, if he decides to do that. But you never know if these guys are, are ca even capable of moving up in weight or, or if, even if they should, you know. But, you know, shout out to Anui. I, you know, I think he's a you know, great talent, you know, today at the lighter weights and, you know, check them out. Yeah, as it stands now, uh, Casimero still hasn't shown the, you know, the, the I forget the governing body, but they issued a show calls for him for pulling out of that fight. And so if he's stripped, then it's really going to be the only person left would be, you know, Donair and whoever would win that vacant belt, I believe it was WBO. But yeah, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, WBL. Yeah.
All right, fellas, we're going to spin a block on that Paul Woodley two card. Um, on that main undercard, we had a women's fight that could have big implications for uh, women's fighting in general, but we had Amanda Serrano, and she fought Miriam Gutierrez. Um, Vel, I understand you saw that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. This was, you know, it was interesting to watch. I think this was Amanda Serrano basically saying, let's see, this is her pretty much auditioning for her uh, Katie Taylor super fight. You know, they built it up to that. Uh, Amanda Serrano, um, she was a featherweight champion. She was a former WBC and WBO uh, featherweight women's champion before moving up to uh, to lightweight. Um, and she's taking on Marianne Gutierrez. Uh, now, Gutierrez, you know, she's 14 and one. Her only loss is to Katie Taylor, a uh, tough girl. Uh, and Serrano is 42 and one and one uh, with 30 KOs. Now, uh, Serrano, you know, five foot five, 65 inch reach. Um, and Gutierrez, I, I, didn't, I didn't really get her dimensions. But this is an interesting fight. You know, Serrano just went out there aggressive in the first round, just pummeled Gutierrez against the ropes, uh, just almost pretty much got her eye there. Gutierrez basically survived uh, round one. Um, and, and there was a few rounds like that where, where I thought that, you know, Gutierrez like barely survived the rounds. Um, but, you know, uh, the second round, Gutierrez, she pretty much, you know, got better into the fight and started, you know, utilizing her jab to kind of keep Serrano honest. But Serrano, man, she was just throwing these, these body shots and hooks and just, you know, I think the southpaw stance is really, really uh, uh, bothering Gutierrez. Um, and and, and uh, the body punch was taking, it was starting to take a toll like around the fourth round on Gutierrez. Um, the interesting thing about this fight though, was uh, it, 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 this, this fight gives a good case for why women's boxing should be, uh, they should go for three minute rounds. Cause I, I think it was, it was at least three rounds that could have like, if it would have been another minute, it would have got stopped. I think Serrano would have won by stoppage. Uh, and Katura, and, and a lot of a lot of the hurt was getting piled up, uh, you know, in the last 30 seconds of the round. Um, and Katura, she, she ended up taking uh, a lot more punishment probably than she, she needed to. And, you know, to her credit, she showed her toughness. I think um, there was somewhere in the fight where uh, Katura, she turned, uh, she turned, uh, Southpaw also, and she was having uh, some success against uh, Serrano with, with some counters, but Serrano was just, you know, a strong girl, and it was interesting because Serrano was the one moving up, and Katerias was obviously bigger, but, it, it, you know, the hurt was too much, and and it, it, there was one point, I think it was either six or seven round, where, you know, Serrano, she landed like 40 punches on Katerias, and, 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 you know, in a two-minute round period, you know, and it, it was just a brutal exchange, and, and, and and even in the eighth, I was like, this fight is not going to last. It's, not, it's getting out of the eighth. This, this fight is not going to last through the eighth. And it ended up going the distance. You know, Katura, she, she stayed in there. She, she kind of listened to her corner. Corner was giving her great advice, keeping her in there. But those body shots, it was just brutal. And, and I like how Serrano was using those body shots to get, you know, Katura to drop that head and throwing these shots to the, you know, to the, to the head, which – Basically, I think Gutierrez looked like her nose was broken, but it was a brutal fight. And, and you know, Gutierrez showed how, how tough she was. And even though Serrano didn't get the stoppage, I'm pretty sure Katie Taylor got the message. So that, that super fight is probably going to happen next. And I think it's going to be a, a, an exciting one and probably a groundbreaking one for uh, women's boxing.
Oh, anything uh, you guys have to share? Yeah, let, let me just say one thing really quickly. Um, that fight was going on in conjunction with uh, Zerto and Gonzalez. Like, some of it was. But every time I turned, I had both fights on, but I was more so focusing in on my main man, Zerto, you know. But every time I did turn and look at the Serrano versus Gutierrez fight, it just seemed like Serrano was well an owner. Like she was just beating the brakes off of her. And I was surprised that when I looked, like the five, the rounds just kept going on and on. It was like, dang, it's the sixth round. Like she's still hanging in there. You know, it's the seventh round. She's still in. But every time I look up, you know, Serrano was 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 putting some serious damage on um, the young uh, fighter in Gutierrez. The other thing that I have, um, I'm interested to know is this. And it's kind of a sidebar type thing, you know, that you have issues now with, you know, people and their pronouns, right? You know, so that's why I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of careful, you know, when it comes to that sort of thing, when it comes to what they would call women's boxing, you know, is how do some um, fighters who were born females, you know, I don't know how they identify the, with themselves. You know what I mean? As far as their pronouns, like some people really get upset with you if you say like, oh yeah, she was a tough girl or she was a tough, you know, that sort of thing. So that's, that's why a little bit perplexing, you know, nowadays when that's becoming more of an issue, you know, but you know, it's just something I was thinking about. You got anything else on that veil? Are you good? No, I'm good. I, yeah. Yeah. I got, I see your point, you know, um, they, they, they've come a long way and they deserve to be respected as, you know, the fighters that they are. And, you know, as a someone who all, always respected, you know, all fighters and always, you know, um, fought for, like, I, I'm, I'm always the one who voiced, you know, my support for people like uh, the respect of Clarissa Shields or that, you know, there should be three minute rounds, you know, so that, you know, if, if someone's asked for something, if a group is asked for something, you know, just give it to them, you know, see, see how it works itself out. You know, so that's, that's all. I gotcha. Now our last topic is going to be um, something that should be coming up in either April or May. I want to say um, you got my main man, David Benavides. Looks like he's going to be fighting David Lemieux for the interim WBC title at 168 pounds if that fight does take place how do you what do you see the outcome um to be in that fight i'm, I'm more curious to know what kind of haircut david lemieux gonna come in with because whatever he had when he fought triple g that's not a good haircut to get jabbed in because you know he got sweaty hair was flopping all over the place while he getting jabbed across the ring so i hope you come in with a shortcut because this fight is not going to last that long um I just keep it there in terms of like the fight itself. But, you know, my first question when I saw this fight was announced was like, why would he do that? So I looked into it. And so for those who may be wondering the same thing, um, this was an interim title fight that the WBC approved because Benavidez is ranked number one in the division by WBC and Lemieux is ranked number two. And their champion, you know, their, their world champion Canelo they already granted him the permission to move up the cruiserweight to compete for their other cruiserweight championship. Um, but, you know, to get into it a little bit, 
Benavidez, um, he's coming into it 25 and 0, 22 knockouts. He's 25 years old, uh, six foot and a half, 74 and a half inch reach. He last stopped Kyron Davis last month. Lemieux, uh, he's coming in at 43 and 4 with 36 knockouts. Uh, he's 32 years old, 5'9 and a half with a 70 inch reach. He last stopped David Zagera in June of this year. So, yeah, in the, in the WBC's case, I guess this was a natural next step after they granted Canelo the permission to move up two divisions. And Benavidez's case, assuming he accepts this, um, I don't think this puts him much closer to his goal, personally. Um, everyone wants to see him fight Canelo when they're calling Canelo a duck, but the argument that Canelo has made is what champions has he fought? And Benavidez's answer would still be no after this fight. Uh, Lemieux, even though he's ranked number two by the WBC, you know, to his credit, he still hasn't really made any noise at the world-class level since moving up to super middleweight a year or two. I think it was two years ago at this point, maybe longer. But at any rate, even if uh, Benavidez wins and WBC were to order the fight between him and Canelo, Canelo is still the A-side, and he's proven that he, you know, like he has and will vacate a belt in order to take the fight he really wants. And so, um, you know, I'm not sure if this is, like, already set in stone already, but, um, you know, I will say that if he were to win this fight, um, it could set him up for, you know, if Canelo were to vacate, it could still set him up for that belt ultimately. Um, and so it's not a bad position to be in, but, um, you know, it is what it is. It's boxing. Yeah. Um, make some good points. You know, David Lemieux uh, being a former IBF middleweight title holder. And as you mentioned, his excuse or some people gave him an excuse of the hair issue when he fought against Gennady Golovkin. And, but that's where he lost his IBF title um, that he held at middleweight. David Benavidez is a two-time super middleweight champ. He lost his belts both times outside of the ring, um, once for taking a few bumps of that cocaina, and another time he lost it on the scales. Uh, many people deem him as the toughest opponent for Saul Cal Canelo Alvarez. He has a, a really good punch output, very quick hands, offensively gifted. Um, the only reason I'm not up in arms about this fight is because it is for the interim title at super middleweight. Um, you know, if not, I would ridicule David Benavidez if he was just taking this fight just to stay busy. But the fight will put him in position to fight Canelo or fight for the belt if Canelo decides to vacate. The fight will take place in either March or April on Showtime. I think that David Lemieux has a shot because he does have devastating um, power, mainly in that left hook. And But he hasn't looked as destructive at 168 as he did at 160, although he knocked out his last opponent in two, but his last opponent wasn't really, you know, anything to write home about. And then also in this fight, it's going to be the first legitimate fighter, David Benefides, that has faced who legitimately can KO you with both hands. I think that it won't play that much of a factor in this fight because Lemieux's arms, you know, he doesn't have the longest of reach. Um, and I think that Benavidez, he knows how to control distance. 
And also he'll be a little bit too long and his, his work rate will just overwhelm Lemieux. Um, also with Benavidez, he hasn't looked tired at all in his last few fights. It seemed like he's starting to get his, wouldn't necessarily say man strength, but he's starting to come into his own as far, you know, as like, like physically, you know, his endurance and things like that. Very fast hands and, and he usually beats his opponents into submission. Rarely KOs guys with, you know, early or with one punch. Although he got the KO against Jelly on Love, I want to say that was like the second round. But typically, you know, it's an accumulation of shots with him. He breaks his opponent down. His work rate doesn't change much, th much throughout a fight. Um, he actually kind of increases his punch output as the fight um, goes on, you know, from rounds one through 12. I think this fight is going to get ugly for Lemieux, to be honest with you. The good thing for Benavidez is he's going to be staying active and he's facing kind of a knockoff version of Canelo. So he can take away some things in this fight that could help him against the number one pound for pound fighter if he's successful and gets Canelo in the future. No one at 168 can match Benavidez's work rate. I mean, there's just nobody out there. If you look at the division, um, I mean, that's, that's the one thing that he brings to the table that no other guy, you know, can even come close to it, including Canelo. You know, just that punch rate, you know, on a consistent basis throughout one rounds one through 12. Also, when you look at the 168 pound weight class, I was kind of um, like just shocked that they would put David Lemieux in consideration for uh, interim belt, you know, with other guys that are out there. But if you look at it, who else could they really put David Benavidez against for the interim title because when I'm looking Caleb Plant I don't think that that's something that he would be interested in coming right off the Canelo loss and then BJ Saunders I think he's still kind of injured and then um, Benavides has already beaten Darrell and then if you look at John Ryder I, I don't think that's much of an upgrade from Lemieux and then everybody else you just wouldn't know you know at that at, at the 168 pound uh, weight class now also I think some things that that David is going to be able to, and that's Benavides is going to be able to uh, take from this fight. So with Lemieux's punching power, Benavides is going to have to be more careful than he typically is, and this could lead him to becoming more of a complete fighter because a lot of times he's facing guys he doesn't respect their power. So you just see him constantly punching, 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 you know, throughout his fights, but he's going to have to be cognizant of Lemieux's punching power. So like I said, I think that could be beneficial in the sense that it'll make him more complete. Also, you got to factor in Canelo's going to be watching to see uh, where Lemieux is successful and how he can capitalize on mistakes and tendencies of Benavidez. So hopefully the fight doesn't expose too many flaws, you know, where he's vulnerable against a Canelo or he doesn't perform up to standards and then the demand for a Canelo fight wanes. So you know, it could be kind of tricky if he's not, you know, doesn't look the way people envision him looking in a fight like this, because I think most people think that he should get through Lemieux with relative ease. And if he doesn't, like I said, that could uh, actually work against him and trying to secure a Canelo fight. But that's all I have in this one. I believe that Benavides is going to be victorious. I just think he's too much for um, David Lemieux. But also, I think he can take some things from this and it could help him 
in a matchup against Canelo in the future. Yeah, I think this is a pretty much a stay busy fight for uh, David Benavidez. Um, uh, David Lemieux, you know, strong guy, good fighter in his day. But I think, he, you know, he, to me, he's still a, a middleweight. And that super middleweight, he's a small one at that. At, but what, five foot nine? You know, he only has 70 inch reach. Benavidez is probably going to take him out, I, I say, within four rounds, I think. And David Mewis just doesn't have that, even though he has the, the firepower, I don't think he's, he has the, you know, when he's, he's, he's one of those punchers that he can, he can dish it out, but it's when someone else can, you know, equally can throw it at him, he can't take it, you know, and I think this is going to be that case It's going to end within four rounds. Now he may get some hits on Benavidez, but it's nothing that I've seen in Benavidez to suggest uh, that he'll be hurt by uh, David Lemieux. Now I could be wrong because if we, if we do see him, you know, tagged by Lemieux and he's affected, then that would show something else. And that would show possibly a vulnerability, but I don't necessarily uh, see it see it happen seeing it happen at this point. Um, but I, I like it as a as a stay busy fight, you know. Uh, could they have gotten a better opponent, you know, for Benavidez? I think so. You know, it's a lot of guy. If we're gonna, if they're gonna get a guy who fought at middleweight to move up. Or you know, who had a couple fights, one sixty eight. It's it's you know, it's a lot of other guys that you know, Benavidez could have fought. But you know, stay busy fight. I, I know what it is, so I can't even you know hate on it too much. But we got we got. You name names. Who could he have faced though? So, hey, look 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 look. They, they, they could have Charlo move up. Charlo is bigger than J- David Lemieux. He's naturally bigger than David Lemieux. David Lemieux is somebody who, even at 160, I think David Lemieux probably could have made 154. But, you know, what you said was they could get somebody who fought at 168 a couple times. So that's why I was saying, who could they have got? Danny, Danny Jacobs. Yeah, Danny Jacobs would have been better. I agree there. You know, much better, you know, as far as name recognition. And then also, I think the threat. Although Danny, he hasn't been looking at, you know, so hot. And I think that um, Lemieux, not Lemieux, but Benavidez would have overwhelmed him as well. But yeah, I, I was thinking that as well. I just wanted to see where you where you were at with it as far as the person that you were thinking about who could substitute in. I was just looking at the rankings. And when you look at the rankings of Rain Magazine, that would be the person that you would see him. You, you can see how he they could match him. And we don't know. We don't know if they reached out to some of those guys either. You know what I'm saying? So, but all in all, it's going to be some benefits of fighting David Lemieux. Because like I said, it's just like when Canelo was fighting Chavez Jr. Again, he's not Triple G, but he's going to bring some type of um, problems and he's going to provide you with certain things that's going to help you in a Triple G fight because he's a big guy who's heavy handed and my main man um, Canelo was trying to get acclimated to fighting bigger guys because he was fighting at 154. Now for David Benavidez, I don't recall him fighting a a guy that short in stature. So he's going to have to get used to being able to do that you know, punching down around that range and then some of the attributes that been, that Lemieux has is going to help him in a Canelo fight. The only problem for him is if he could couple that with upping the level of his competition, 
So if he could have faced somebody already that he can have a fight of close to the magnitude of a Canelo, also fighting somebody who has certain skills that you have to just have to be sharp for. And, you know, you can learn in the midst of facing a guy like that. If he can have those things, you know, not all in one, but if he would have had like one of those fights before, but part of it is not his fault because some guys he just can't get in the ring. He can't get a plant in the ring. He can't, he was finna fight who's got the key, who's got the key, you know, was taking all type of um, power pellets. You know what I mean? So some of that is not his fault, but also what is his fault is the fact that losing your title, you know, snorting that cocaine, you know, not coming in, you know, on weight, you know, lose your belts on the scale. So some of those things are, are, are self-inflicted, um, but then some of the things are just, you know, some things he could have, um, some things that, some things out of his control and some things aren't. Watch too much Scarface, that's what that is. Yeah. You're taking them bumps, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, anything else we fellas want to touch on, man, before we start wrapping things up? Another good episode. You know, we started off talking about the Mickey Bay all the way down to this potential matchup between um, Lemieux, well, the two Davids, you know what I mean? Lemieux versus um, Benavides. Anything else we got? Nah, nah. No, I think we ran the gamut, fellas. Yes, sir. Y'all let me know how that Spider-Man movie is, man. You know, I ain't a movie buff. You know, I'm not a Siskel and Eber type guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so if you can give us the breakdown next week, maybe, perhaps, you know? That's a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next week, I'll give you the breakdown. Yeah, maybe we can, we can lead off with that. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, make sure that you catching us on YouTube. We starting to, you know, get a lot of subs on there, man. You know, if you can run that past other people, spread the word that we wanted the fastest growing channel. So you want to go ahead and spread the word on that. We're trying to continue to give you this good boxing content, man. You know, and you know, we, we had a conversation earlier. We really didn't want to start things off with the Jake Paul uh, fight. You know, we want to make sure that we are bringing substance and the fights that are most meaningful. That's what we want to discuss. But, you know, we had a conversation about it. We decided to lead off with that. But in the future, that's probably something that we won't do. But if you want to hear, like, the meats and bones and, you know, potatoes and, and things like that when it comes to the sport of boxing, then we want you all to look to us. But on that note, we out. You know, enjoy your week. Hopefully you have a great Christmas. If you celebrate that sort of thing, Hanukkah, uh, Kwanzaa, you know, whatever it is that you support and celebrate, we with you. Have a great week. Peace. Peace. Peace.